the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 99, recorded Friday, July 12th, 2013. It's a fun LinkedIn. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, with us this week is Aaron Wilson. Aaron is an enterprise AV professional. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, also with us is Bill Steitler. Bill is the associate or an associate editor at Appletel. Welcome, Bill. Hello. Uh, and last but not least, we have a newbie this week. Uh, his name is Ted Green. He is the editor of Strategy.com. Welcome, Mr. Ted. Thank you so much. Newbie on uh, AV Week and uh, newbie in life. Newbie, newbie in life? Ah, I like that. <laughs> Since uh, we've been on before, do we get to haze him? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. that's, that's kind of the, 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 uh, the trial by fire. He just gets, you know, stuff thrown at him. Uh, no, actually, it's nice to have Ted on because I, I've, I've used a number of articles over the, over the last couple of years. Um, and actually, one of the one of the ones that I, I still remember was talking about core brands, and what the heck are they thinking? And when it comes to their marketing strategy and the fact that they've got all these different weird, not weird, but all these different disparate companies. And right. Ted, I was thinking about you at Infocom. I'm sitting there with one of the guys from Core Brands. Yeah. And I just had to stop, and I just I just looked at him and I said, you know, you guys. have You've had some issues when it comes to your <laughs> marketing. And he just hung his head and he's like, Yeah, well, I know. It's <laughs> just like, Yeah. So. Well, they are definitely one of my favorite companies to follow. Um, they are either going to be one of the most spectacular turnaround stories in the industry, or they're going to be one of the most dismal crash and burns that we've ever seen. And I'm not even sure I can say right now which way it's going to which way it's going to go. Wow. Either way, well, let's let's actually talk about that because you actually wrote about them as well as a couple of other things. Yep. Uh, CE Week was this week. Uh, the Consumer Electronics Association uh, was this past week. You've written some couple couple things. Um, one was praying at CEA's Church of Data Dominion. <laughs> uh, yeah. Here's the thing: when it comes to and, and, and consumer electronics, this is the, these are the guys that put on CES. Um, right. We've done a couple things with with having some different people on from CEA. Uh, we did a, a special with, with CE Pro. They, they've got some interesting ideas, the whole the Consumer Electronics Association. One of them is, is some of their members are fully putting a lot of chips, I'm not going to say all their chips, but a lot of chips in the um, 4K and OLED camp where... Oh. You know, this is where we're going, guys, and let's let's all jump on this. Did right. you get that sense this week from from CE Week, or was it something totally different? Um, you know, the industry is uh, uh, is kind of famous for that. Um, you know, there's a lot of information sharing through the trade association, and they essentially try to get everybody kind of lined up 
uh, behind uh, sort of the quote unquote next big thing. So that's that's not really uh, um, that's not really new to our industry. Um, and there was definitely a feel for that this week. I think that there's uh, still some wound licking for the for the uh, for the uh, rather dramatic uh, fall from grace of 3D. Yeah. Good. Um, that that yeah that the industry all got so far behind and. Uh, I'm sensing a slightly more measured, uh, you know, uh, uh, level of hyperbole with regards to uh, uh, 4K Ultra HD TV and uh, and OLED is, uh, you know, OLED has a dirty little secret and that is that they're having trouble manufacturing it. Um, so uh, a little more, little more measured take uh, than they have in the past, where where they've struck up the band and had the dancing girls and you know, um, all sold the same story. So, uh, but definitely 4k and, uh, OLED are, uh, are, uh, two of the big, uh, two of the big TV stories. And they're still also pushing, you know, internet connected, you know, internet, uh, uh, connectivity, um, both for video and they've mentioned a couple other categories as well, but, uh, those are definitely two of their big stories for, uh, uh, for video. But I, w- I, I should jump in really quick and say that, uh, um, there was a very interesting moment um, uh, uh, at the research summit. Now, let me just take a moment and say I've been going to this event now for uh, the last three years in a row. This year was the first year where they separated out the research data into its own event. So on Monday, hmm. there was a, a day-long event where they did nothing but just bury us in market data and market statistics. And typically, that had been just one of the sessions during – uh, what was at one time called the CEA Line Show. Now it's kind of broadened to be called CE Week. And that moment was, uh, sh- you know, was uh, Sean Dubravik, uh, their chief economist, and the guy that basically runs their research uh, division, um, talking about what CEA's uh, forecast was um, and for, for Ultra HDTV. And then on the same slide, putting up the numbers from other non-CEA-related market research companies. Now, why this was uncomfortable was a lot of those companies were sitting in that audience. And he was he was obviously, uh, he being Sean Dubravik, was obviously uh, not comfortable with the numbers that are being put out there by some of these uh, market research companies. And it was a curious... Uh, kind of uh, moment where uh, on the slide he has their numbers, which uh, their numbers for uh, Ultra HD TV for 2013 is uh, 23,000 units, uh, and in 2014, 212,000 units. And then right next to it, he has uh, you know IHS estimates of 7.1 million units in 2015. Uh, Morgan Stanley had MPDs. Um, uh, estimate up there of uh, 500,000 units in in 2013, um, and uh, it was um, it was a not so subtle message. Uh, you know, hey guys, uh, let's uh, tamp this down a little bit and let's try to be a little more realistic. It was a very interesting moment. The whole event was an interesting event to me. I mean, I, I, I as Tim, you've been reading me for a while. You know, I like to have fun with headlines. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, but. But, you know, I could not leave alone uh, the, 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 the imagery. The imagery of this event to me was, uh, was extremely powerful. 
and you know essentially uh, holding this event in um, you know in uh, in, in a, uh, an old theological seminary uh, with all kinds of uh, religious symbology all around us. I mean, it was it 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 fascinated me, and um, and uh, there was imagery throughout the whole day. Uh, one of the sessions. Uh, to try to make the numbers a little more uh, easier to uh, to to work with, um, adopted the metaphor of circus, and talked about TV as one time being the uh, you know the, the 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 center ring of a of a three ring circus as now being a sideshow. And I thought this is remarkable imagery. I mean, essentially, you have the CAA telling us that our industry is a circus. Well, so it was a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe accurate. I don't maybe know, accurate, but it was yeah. uh, it it was uh, yeah, it was uh, it was remarkable. So uh, there's some nervousness around the numbers that are thrown out there about uh, uh, ultra HD TV, and I think those are lessons learned from the uh, you know the overheated rollout of uh, of uh, 3D. Bill, is there anything other than you know market analysts being market analysts and and being over over bullish? Uh, when it comes to those numbers, well, I mean, this is the—I mean, I think the last time I was on here, we were talking about sort of the death of 3D TV, and it's like it, I still have the same questions: is who who needs this? What need is this fulfilling? And two, where's the content? Because that was the thing about you know, oh, 3D TV is—I mean, it was a gimmick, and the reason why nobody bought it is there was no content unless you were like on very specific channels. Um, so, I mean, as as a as a uh, filmmaker, I'm really interested to see what 4K cameras can do, but we're talking about a theatrical, ex it's like an IMAX experience, yeah. and not everything needs to be shot in IMAX. It's like, are we, okay, so everybody has ultra HD 4K TVs, are we going to be shooting three camera sitcoms in this, which is what a lot of people watch. So what's, I mean, it's the, you know, I, I understand the market is like, okay, here's the new thing that we're going to sell, but I don't, you know, I'm not sure that the market is there. I think that's a great point, by the way, Bill. I think that, you know, that sometimes uh, my feeling is the CEA as a trade association views their job as being the cheerleader for these new technologies and try mm. to encourage market adoption by issuing all kinds of very optimistic forecasts. But um, the questions I have are, are sort of like, Bill, you know, has anybody done any consumer research? Has anybody asked consumers what they're looking for? And there's a real, uh, there's a real danger uh, with 4K in that unless the screen is an extremely large screen, it's really not um, all that visible. And uh, the other thing is, is that I can tell you right now, and I've actually already written an article about this, uh, there's an 8K standard that is uh, oh. being rapidly pursued in Japan. <laughs> And, you know, in researching the story I wrote, I, I saw on uh, one of the major manufacturers' websites where they talked about 8K. So I think it's really hard to get people jazzed up about a new standard when you're already telling them the next standard is coming. Yeah. So this is a very murky area right now. Well, I mean, we had, you know, televisions that were, you know, uh, people are still, I mean, we're still in the middle of adapting HDTV for a lot of Americans. Yep. Um, right. So, you know, talking about two revolutions ahead seems to be, you know, putting the cart before the horse. Well, and, right. and to, to Ted's point, actually, it was it was the NHK, the the uh, sort. This don't don't 
email me about this. It's sort of the Japanese version of PBS. It's not, but it's it's the closest thing that that, mm-hmm. that we have is, is to, to right. NHK is PBS. They're That's broadcasting right. HK 8, 8K. They are do sending that. Then they this is testing, and you know, but but still right. they're they're yes. doing proof of concepts. They're broadcasting over the air 8K. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly towers. right. That's exactly right. And uh, and you know to really maximize the benefit, you know, as Bill said, it all comes down to content. And um, and I actually remember back when they were originally pitching 3D. One of the questions I asked at one of the press conferences is, "Do you envision all content being broadcast in 3D?" And at that time, they were coming out with all kinds of. Uh, um, devices to uh, to you know to uh, to do a 3D uh, conversion, if you will, sort mm-hmm. of on the fly, and you know the answer was yes. And I said, so you you know you expect my 83 year old mother to get up in the morning and put on her 3D glasses to watch Good Morning America? <laughs> I'm not sur- I'm not sure I see that happening. No, you you don't. But the, here's here's and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Aaron in because he and I work in not identical. I, I'm in education. He's in in corporate. I can I can honestly see besides the fact that I really really want a, a, a 4K you know OLED TV in my house, I can see a, a specific use case and that is in education and also in, in boardrooms where you're looking at detailed drawings where you're looking at stuff where, that you need to blow up and you need detail for. Right. Aaron, besides, uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, the, the, there's one other uh, which I don't know if anybody's really realized. I, I haven't heard it on your past shows, but. 4K is pretty much 4K by 2K, more or less. Mm-hmm. If you take a 4K display, rotate it 90 degrees, you can put two 1080p images or videos on the screen, native. And I don't know if anybody's considered that, but when doing a lot of video conferencing, and your mm-hmm. video conferencing is 1080p, and you got 1080p laptops, to me, it's kind of a no-brainer if you have a small conference room or small huddle space, and you want, ooh, huddle space, there you go, Tim. Yeah. Um, and you 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 want as little equipment as possible, you know, side by side picture in picture. Now you got two sources on one display. Throw a webcam or not a webcam, but throw a little camera up there, talk to the computer, or the video conferencing unit, and you got a pretty compact uh, display solution. So that that's what I'm. That's why I'm excited for 4K. Is the is the ability know. to start doing multi? I'm gonna say multi camera, but multi imagery truly two truly 1080p two truly hd sig- signals uh side by side is what you're saying yeah well in, in this case it'd be stacked because yeah. you you know you gotta rotate it but i mean you don't want to scale if you don't have to scale and you don't necessarily want two flat panels on the wall unless you need two large flat panels on the wall if you can make it one flat panel that's the prices will come down once the volume goes up so yeah. that's the less equipment you're buying and you're making it more compact so that's always good in the in the commercial space so. prices come down there's a two thousand dollar one how, how cheap do you <laughs> I, I don't know the name of the company and i've never heard of them before but yeah when they're two thousand dollars people want them for a thousand i know want them for 500 so whatever you never but nobody's happy or you can buy the thirty thousand, you know oled uh 4k from from sam sony well, let me so. let me ask this what? within within the ce industry i mean do they see this as a a consumer electronic or do they see this as a specialized high-end sort of like what we're talking about now like doing business stuff or medical things where you need to have like the highest resolution picture or is this well I mean, I, I, my, my opinion is that and I think Tim's spot-on I think there is a lot of application both in education also in uh, business 
and certainly medical, uh, mm. 4K makes makes a lot of sense. That level of detail makes a makes a lot of sense. But the industry is, in my view, looking at this as the next great consumer product. There's a couple things that they gain from it. Not only do they, if they can convince people that this is the next great thing, not only do they uh, increase uh, people replacing their existing HDTVs, um, but you know they also uh, uh, you know, get people to buy big, bigger uh, uh, screen sizes, which is what they really want because mm-hmm. it's a more profitable category mm-hmm. for them. So it's you know they 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 win on a couple of fronts. So um, and I'm not sure you know uh, I'm not sure if it to some degree this is also maybe a way for them to um, you know uh, by getting consumer adoption uh, to be able to bring the, bring the prices down um, to where they can field. Uh, you know, business and medical and educational types products. I don't, I don't, I don't know if on a freestanding basis uh, they can make the economics work. Mm. I'm not saying they can't. I'm saying I don't know. Well, and, and even what, even go ahead. sorry, Tim, but even when they do start broadcasting 4K, how great is it going to be? Because I'm sure you've all seen it since HD is rolled out. If you look at your cable company or your your uh, satellite dish provider, compare that to an over-the-air digital signal. It's it's pretty pretty compressed. So. I think they're probably looking to get people to swap out to 4K TVs just so they can get the turnover on people buying the the uh, the fly panels. But we're probably a long ways away from getting a quality 4K signal. I think house. that's it. I think that's a good point. I also wonder if uh, if they're if the industry is going to have trouble getting content supporters because a couple of people felt like they got left holding the bag with 3D. Mm-hmm. You know, once bit once bitten, twice shy. Right. Well, and that's a really good point. Is the fact that what was it? Uh, ESPN's 3D is 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 shuttering its doors, and, and all the other 3D channels. I think all of them. There might be one or two left, but you're going to have a hard time convincing broadcasters who are still getting a return on investment from going digital uh, right. in the in the late 2000s to even anytime soon increase that to 4K. I mean, you you guys mentioned the the over the air. The best HD signal you can get right now—that's not, you know—that's that's some sort of broadcast um, origination—is honestly over the air because you're right. They compress the heck out of it, whether it's satellite or cable. They're gonna—it's gonna be some sort of compression, and so you're not getting true, honest to goodness 1080p. You're not gonna get 4K out of those guys either. But the the advantage we do have with 4K is a lot of movies have been using 4K yeah. cameras yeah. or higher mm-hmm. resolution cameras, yeah. as opposed to 3D, which is a totally different workflow. And, and totally different um, method of uh, recording. So, you know, they could they yeah. could take footage that we've had and just re-edit it to 4K, and it may have been recorded with a with a 4K camera. I mean, how long has the red camera been out? Um, oh, good lord! Five, which is either seven, what, seven years. I forget what the first one was. Was it 2K for the first camera or or, or what? Something but like yeah. Um, I mean, we, we that's the advantage of 4K over 3D right now is there's potentially a lot of content already out there, at least in the movie industry. Maybe not so much for broadcasts. Yeah, and I think that's where you're going to get a lot of it is the fact that you've got content creators who are creating content, not necessarily broadcast, but you've got content available either in in movie form. You can download, you can't stream yet uh, from YouTube in 4K. But if somebody, if we all put together a show and and created it in 4K, uploaded it to YouTube, you guys could download it and and watch it wherever you were uh, to, in, in honest to goodness, 4K. Um, but getting people to to work get into that workflow sometimes is difficult. So, all right, uh, you're listening to AV Week. The Ted Green, Bill 
Steitler and Aaron Wilson are here with us. A uh, couple things, uh, guys. We're going to get away from <laughs> making fun of, not making fun of CEA, but, you know, kind of putting them to the grill when it comes to 4K and UHD TV. That's a whole other thing, too, by the way. If, if you're going to come up with 4K, don't give me sub 4K and call it UHD TV. So, um, look that one up, kids. Uh, talking about uh, from Hack a Day, a very small HDMI display. And the reason I put this on here, um, I mentioned that I, I am the proud new owner, owner of a uh, Crestron DMCE uh, digital media certified engineer uh, certificate on my wall. And is the certificate in HD? It's, it is. And 3D. Oh, awesome. I, I made a copy. <laughs> Just set one just <laughs> off to the side. Um, printed one red and one blue. Yes. and shifted them slightly. Yes, apart. and shifted them slightly. And, and when you when you uh, when you put the three D glasses on, George Feldstein's head appears. <laughs> um, <laughs> reason I mention this, I bring this this article up. One of the interesting things that they that they uh, say during the the course of the class, uh, and Aaron, you've taken the class. You can kind of get with me on this. HDMI is everywhere now, including in automobiles it's becoming more and more accepted and more and more used and the reason i want to bring bring it up on this show is to talk to you guys for a second and kind of give me the not the pros and the cons because there's i think we're beyond that now and the fact that it doesn't have a you know there's there's no latching uh connector which we're going to have to live with and and all that but the actual infrastructure the 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 um communication that happens on the hdmi cable uh, Aaron, we'll start with you. When it comes to whether it's 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 corporate or automobiles now and stuff like that, when it comes to what we can do with HDMI, where do you kind of see this going? Um, and it, not just you know obviously content protection and video and audio transport, but when we're, we're starting in getting into rev, you know uh, revision one point four and one point five eventually, where do you see this going? Well, I guess where I see this going maybe related to the small display is um well the first thing i thought of when i when i saw this article is ooh i could turn my cell phone into a portable hdmi monitor for when i'm troubleshooting oh yeah um so that's kind of where i saw it going and now, and now that you pose the question where do you see it going with everything else um i i have a nexus 10 and it's got a mini hdmi out connector in it so i can plug it into any hdmi display i mean the, the, the footprint on that connector is very small you could throw another one on there and make it hdmi in now you get a little 10-inch tablet that uh, I can hook up to my lap laptop to HDMI out. I get a second monitor. Um, you know, if I'm out in the field troubleshooting, I can I can hook it up to source devices and test things out. But um, it was it was a neat display, and even if you can only throw down a little three-inch, four-inch cell phone, making that into a monitor, that's a lot more than what we ever had with composite. I mean, how many? Cell phones had composite inputs. On. Not many, so, not many, and that's not that's, many. <laughs> that's a good point because it is digital, and, and uh, you know the smart people smarter than me that that have taught me things about digital and analog. It, it costs more actually to convert um, a how how was it to because cell phones and actually computers are digital beings. It costs more to convert things back into analog for you know monitoring and stuff like that. So that actually makes a whole lot of sense. Um, Bill, when it comes to consumer electronics, where does where do we see HDMI going? Is it is it here for a while? Uh, oh yeah, I think so. I mean, well, the, the big advantage of HDMI, of course, is that it works, uh, which is always a plus. Uh, for when it stays connected, it works. When it stays connected, it works. And we, I think, we had a really long uh, conversation about like the quality of you know of the things. 
Um, it's, you know, for a long time, it's it was almost like, for cars, uh, it seemed like maybe it was going to be the iPod connector just because that was so, you know, ubiquitous and the early adopters were having that. And now it seems like we're switching to USB and uh, Bluetooth just because they're standards and you don't have to worry about Apple changing their connector again. Um, HDMI, I mean, it's extremely useful. I mean, it's, but the question comes in again, it's like, okay, what do you need to connect in, you know, your, your vehicle, for example, if you have to have an HDMI out, HDMI is a thicker connector. So are you going to put an HDMI connector on your phone and make your phone thicker? You could do a micro one or a mini. You could. Yeah, I'm saying, you know, there you know, there are definitely options, but I, you know, the only thing that I see HDMI on is my TV and I'm really happy with it cuz it's it's it's, you know, I cuz I remember the old days of, you know, you plug something into your computer and nothing happens and you just sort of the scuzzy voodoo thing where you just have to keep mm -hmm. disconnecting it and reconnecting it until it works. But uh yeah, HDMI I, I I like HDMI. I have not thought about scuzzy voodoo it's, in a long time. <laughs> Oh boy, Jeez. those were the bad old days. My my first uh, video editor was a Premiere 1.0 system with a SCSI uh, RAID array of 50 gigs. I was in yeah. heaven, holy cow. Oh boy. Yeah, 50 well, gigs. Well, I mean, and the thing that's, as from a consumer perspective, the thing that drives me nuts about HDMI is the thing that, you know, the business is like is that you get a lot of control over your rights. And I'm not entirely sure why... I can, you know, I can stream HBO Go from my iPad to my TV through my Apple TV, but the app doesn't support HDMI out yeah. into my TV. And I, I, it's this sort of bizarre morass of I don't understand why things that obviously could work don't work. Yeah, and some of that also is is the content creators themselves. Um, yeah. Not even, I mean, not even the creators because HDMO doesn't, HDMO, HD, oh Lord. I can't talk this Friday. HBO <laughs> doesn't create Game of Thrones, but they obviously own the rights right. to it because they're the broadcasters for it. Uh, all right, yeah. Mr. Ted, where do we see HDMI going uh, in the next couple of years? Well, I think HDMI has done a really good job of becoming, as we've said already, uh, ubiquitous on the device side. Um, but I have to tell you that when I talk with, uh, um, when I go into the field and, and meet with integrators, you know, uh, it's still a technology that when I mention it, they get a funny look on their face that 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 looks looks like they've become slightly nauseous. Um, there's still <laughs> a still a bit of a, a discomfort factor with HDMI. Um, I think the fact that HDMI is ubiquitous, uh, like once all things become ubiquitous, they become a little bit like the utility. They become your favorite thing to hate. Um, they've yeah. spawned another whole. Uh, another whole genre uh, of, 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 of fixer products and, um, and um, you know, they probably um, are single-handedly responsible for the what appears to be relatively rapid adoption um, of HD-based T. Uh, yeah. The HD-based T alliance is growing like crazy and, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and the integrators that I talk to that, uh, and I don't know if this covers uh, you guys, but uh, I talked to quite a few integrators that, that, that tell me that they feel that, it, that they get a greater degree of reliability uh, with uh, long-run HD-based T uh, installations, and they have a, a higher level of comfort, and they still break into a sweat 
when they have to run a uh, uh, an original HDMI cable uh, behind walls. So there's 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 uh, you know they the, from the device side, you're absolutely right. I mean they're completely ubiquitous. They've done a great job. I think they'll continue to come out with new revs and they'll upgrade the tech as as technology industry moves forward. They'll upgrade their connectivity solution uh, to take advantage of it, but. Um, this has not been as smooth of a, of a, a technology adoption with HDMI as it has with other, uh, some of the others in the past. Yeah, and to, to your point about HD-based heat, this will be interesting, an interesting um, thing to watch because you're right, most installers are, are used to pulling cable. They're used to pulling you know some sort of twisted pair, RJ45, and whether it's Cat5 exactly. or Cat6 or what have you. They're comfortable with that. They know how to terminate that in the field. They know how to test it. Um, Correct. Anybody ever tried to terminate an HDMI connector? I think we talked about this the last time I was on. <laughs> yeah. We were having a conversation about uh, cheap cables and yeah. such. You know. Oh, speaking of which, I actually talked with the guys from uh, Monoprice uh, at, at Infocom. Very nice guys. Not that you know. I don't know why that you know they're not very <laughs> cheap, but I don't know. Um, that was a surprise. It was. It was. They, they, they were at Infocom. I was, I was surprised. Uh, moving on from the New York Times. Touchscreens are being tested for piloting passenger jets. And it's not the fact that we're going to talk about um, passenger jets. Although the podcast is called AV Week. And you'd be surprised how many uh, airplane people that follow us on Twitter. So Because um, AV is you know also um, aeronautical. So... Um, but here's the thing, guys, and, and, and Bill, we'll start with you, is being okay. is fact that, you know, Apple has kind of, well, let's be frank about this. Apple has introduced us to the smartphone. Not really, but they're the ones who made it cool. They also right. made touch screens and touch touching your computer kind of cool and accepted. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kind of being serious because, you know, when, when it comes to in the world of AV, you know, yeah. 10, 12, 15 years ago, when Crestron and, and AMX had their touchscreens, you saw them in, like, high-end boardrooms, high-end, you know, multi-million right. dollar homes, um, maybe, like, the uber, uber professor that had 15 doctorates in his classroom. But that was it. Right. And now it's we've gone, come to a point where touchscreens are all around us. They have become ubiquitous when it comes mm -hmm. to tech. It's almost like they're... The way I want to I want to ask this question to all of you is is ha, are, are touchscreens kind of synonymous with with higher end technology now? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean I, I I think just in terms of what people think of as high tech now is a touchscreen. I mean this is you know getting into movies and fictional stuff is whenever you see you know a futuristic interface, it's people using touchscreens now, which I think actually would drive you crazy if you had to deal with these gigantic displays where you have to wave your arms around to do stuff rather than just type on a keyboard. Um, I think what, I, I don't know if you're asking me for like what I think Apple did with this. I mean, I, nobody thinks that Apple, you know, invented the cell phone or invented the... Oh, there are fanboys the who touch think screens. that. Well, yeah. <laughs> there are also people who think that Apple is claiming that they invented the touchscreen. Um, but what they did was, I mean, they released... A great product that was, uh, you know, a, a sea change in terms of usability and in terms of, you know, what you could do with it. Um, in terms of this story, 
uh, in terms of using it for airplanes. I mean, it is a little unnerving because you're looking at the picture that they include, and it looks like somebody playing a flight simulator, except it's supposed to be an actual plane. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's just psychologically unnerving because, you know, you're thinking of somebody. We have this vision, which is completely false, that the controls of an airplane are actually somehow, you know, connected to the wings. <laughs> and if you're and if you're in a steep dive, you, you get two guys on there pulling it up and the plane is going to pull out, of, which is, of course, complete nonsense. It's all, you know, collect, connected by electronics. So, but I mean, if it's a more effective way of dealing with all this data, uh, why not? They're professionals; they know what they're doing. So, so you're saying that the the the, the uh, sticks are not actually connected to the wings? Well, no, it's not. I, I yeah, may I may not. drive from now on. <laughs> yeah, your the, your your car is not. Yeah, your wheel is not actually uh, turning the t- turning the wheels. There, you're having power assist help you oh, out there. Whatever. Uh, Aaron, where are we going? Well, I, just, I have no idea. Um, have have we gotten to the point where touchscreens are like all around us? So that's what we think of when we think of technology. Yeah, it, it, it's it's the input method which is replacing keyboards and mice, or you know, just your your basic push buttons on maybe like a building automation interface or something like that, where you might just have eight or twelve buttons next to a screen, um, or even like the ATM. Look at the ATMs now; you can. You can hit the buttons next to the screen, or you can touch the screen itself. Whichever, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's becoming probably more commonplace just because of the cost factors getting lower, and it is easier to use. Maybe not—I wouldn't say necessarily related to high-tech stuff, but you do see it in high-tech stuff. But it's in fairly low-tech stuff too. So we've had gla- it, as far as this article goes, we've had glass cockpits for a while now. So it only makes sense to have them touch sensitive actually i'm kind of surprised i didn't have it sooner um i don't think you'll see a pilot inputting critical uh, uh interactions into a touch screen as opposed to having like a physical button or or pulling on a yoke even though i think they're starting to get rid of the yoke so um because like the article said you know you're in a you're in some turbulence and you're you're trying to hit the button that says uh uh to do something critical and you accidentally slip and hit the fuel dump button or something like that. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, it's, I don't, it's, it's becoming more commonplace. And I think that's the direction we're going at the same time. I don't think we necessarily need it forced onto us in every way. Cough windows eight cough. Um, (laughs) so I refuse to get on a plane. If there's a windows eight logo on the door, (laughs) not happening. Yeah, I was introduced to a uh, a digital console a few days ago, and when they were doing the back end, it was a Windows uh, XP, and I was like, "Oh, really? Never mind." Uh, an, audio, an audio console? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to say who it was. Uh, uh, Ted, is this way? okay? So a couple years ago, um, I read a very smart article that said that you are, if whether you are in education or corporate. If you do not have at least a, a 720p display or higher, you will be discounted by those um, consuming your environment. You know, whether it's a church right. or a, are we getting there when it comes to touch panels? Like if you don't have a touch panel in your facility somewhere, you're 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 kind of looked down upon by society. Yeah, I think it's I think it's inevitable. You know, I, I don't think the you know, as I read the story, I, I don't think the issue really is that there are. 
you know, high definition, uh, you know, great quality displays being incorporated into the into the cockpit. I think that's inevitable. I think the real the question mark comes down to the degree of interactivity, the touch aspect. What are we controlling with it? I think you're going to see this get tested for years. You know, after I read this, I called up a buddy of mine who's a pilot. Now, he's not a commercial pilot, but I, he's, he's a pilot. And we chatted about this, you know, and and, uh, you know, he was very skeptical. Um, he talked about how most commercial pilots are over 55 years old. I didn't know that. Um, and that that they have a very high comfort level with mechanical things. Um, I suppose you could have a push-button thruster, but they want that big lever that they grab onto and push or pull to where they want it to be. And so he, you know, really got me to realize that a lot of the, if we if we talk about this not from what is the technology and what it can do, but you know what what works well with the human interface, i.e., the pilot. I think that's going to be something that's going to be subject to just a whole lot of testing. And you know, I remember, and this is not really the same thing, but somewhat related. I remember out of the I'm from Michigan originally, and I lived in the Detroit area. And I remember when they were going to digital dashboards. Remember when they went to digital oh, dashboards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the kind of the, the 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 big thing in a high tech dashboard in your car. And then they did a study after they sold them. I don't know why they did this after they sold them, and they found out that people hated it. That they wanted a, they wanted that analog speedometer. They didn't want numbers flashing by. They wanted an analog. So some things, you know, when you get to the human interface, that makes things a little more complicated. And you know what you want to control, how you want to control it. As that jet's bouncing around, you know uh, what 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 is the what is the display uh, uh, controlling? So, but I do think it's inevitable. I think that uh, these planes are getting extremely sophisticated. They have a lot of parameters to control. I think it makes sense to have, you know, logically set up panels, uh, displays with, uh, you know, that can be uh, switched between different views for whatever the you know whatever the uh, context set, uh, sensitive. Uh, uh, part of the flight that they're in, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I think it'll be a lot of testing, and I think there'll be a lot of discussion about the sort of that human interface. Do you think maybe that it will come about as as the the turnover of pilots happens with with a younger uh, crowd coming in? I think there's no question um, that that's got to be an element of this. The example I use is my my youngest son has been on computers since he's been three years old. And he is very comfortable with it, and he runs circles around me, and I'm on computers every day. So there's no question that this newer generation has a higher comfort factor with technology, and I'm sure that will be uh, that will definitely be an element or a factor in looking at that human uh, interface with the control. Yeah. Well, here's a question. Here's something I just thought of. I, we saw, uh, you know, back when I was growing up, you know, airline pilots came out of the military. Um, you know, you, that was the, the career path when you left the military, you went into flying for airlines. Well, we're seeing a lot of, you know, an increased use of, of drones here, which are piloted by people using computer interfaces who are not actually on the craft. So maybe this is part of that. Maybe that will be the transition as people leave, you know, the military and get into flying drones for business and scientific purposes. Maybe we'll have drone pilots on airplanes. So we'll I ha- think that. I think that's a very good point. In fact, I think that uh, they actually look for in recruits for those kinds of positions. They look for recruits that have a, uh, shall we say, vigorous uh, video game background. Mm. 
Yeah, they actually did a study on the military pilots, and they found that they they, they took pilots against uh, new uh, soldiers that were come from like you know video games, and the pilots had a lot harder time flying the drones than the kids coming mm. from video games. So. Mm. Wow. See that, kids? If you want to, you want to make something of yourself, <laughs> play more. Uh, play more Skyrim. I'm, I can finally say after 20 years of saying playing video games will pay off. It. Yeah. It finally came true. <laughs> I'm absolutely fascinated by the non-military possibilities for, for drones, especially in terms of, like, scientific research. And I know people, you know, it makes people nervous because because when they hear the, they first heard about drones in military purposes. Because they can kill about, us, Bill. They can kill us. Yeah, they're killer robots. Uh, <laughs> Have you never seen is, The Matrix? Good yeah. God. But... Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you think about all the things that we use, that we currently use, uh, aircraft for it, my, like my wife does, uh, wildlife surveys where they, so they monitor year to year to see, you know, how many ducks are in the area at the same time. And they put three people in an airplane. Well, if you can, if we can get, uh, a drone with a camera, it's using less fuel, human lives are not at stake. And, you know, they're taking pictures that can be at, at a higher resolution that can be reviewed later, and it just—it seems like an all-around win. But we have a lot of laws that prohibit. It's these just a, just a short leap from there to Domino's Pizza delivering your pizza with a drone. Oh God, just what we need. <laughs> oh, we're gonna—you know—we're moving towards self-driving cars, which I think is going to be the big cultural battle we're going to see in the next ten to fifteen years. Is against yeah, the self-driving that will car. be that will be because, let's face it, us Americans like our cars. We do, and we like to drive them. Yep, and we like to drive them faster than we should. <clears throat> I don't know what you're talking about, Mr. Steitler. Ah. I do the speed limit everywhere I go. Uh, faster than we should or that we are supposed, supposed to? Because I, I don't think we're driving calls. faster than what we should. The joke I always made in uh, physics class was, if you want to break the speed of light, you just need to make the speed limit the speed of light, and my dad will drive the speed of light plus five miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yours and mine both. Yeah. So. Uh, all right, uh, moving on. We've got a story here from Engadget about hard drives, and, and the reason I, I bring it up is because of the fact that, that a lot of our stuff nowadays is going to have some sort of storage on it. Uh, we, we have moved into a long, long time ago from the whole spinning disk, and yes, we still have spinning disk hard drives, mm-hmm. to solid-state drives to flash-based uh, storage. Um, Aaron, when it comes to not just control systems but also... A lot of, of our devices, whether it's Blu-ray players or, obviously, um, streaming media devices, these guys are moving into a more and more you know, s- static type of, of storage. Is there any kind of repercussion we're going to suffer from this, or this is just our, our next step uh, in, in the evolution of storage? You're asking is moving to solid state our next evolution? Yeah, but is is, is there is there is there going to be any kind of repercussions for this, or is this honestly the next best thing? At the moment, really, the only negative side to the solid state is um, the cost for the equivalent size of, of a spinning disk. I, you know, I got a I forget how many terabytes are in this Drobo next to me. I think it's like a eight terabyte volume on my Drobo, but it's spinning disk because you can't mm-hmm. you can't produce that. Um, for a, a low cost with solid state drives, it's gonna get there eventually. I mean, you were just talking about what your your fifty gig or your fifty yes. megabyte or fifty gigabyte rate. Fifty whatever. gig you, raid, fifty gig. Either way, it's a I'm small rate. So, <laughs> um, so the 
the cost will come down and, and the storage will go up. It's inevitable. I think right now we're kind of at a really good mix because putting a solid state in a laptop um, allows you to bang the laptop around pretty good and you're not destroying your hard drives uh, or putting it on other devices which may experience shock. Um, or you look at like like the new Crestron processors. I just got a couple uh, uh, CP3s in and things got like, what, 16 gigs of storage on it? What am I going to do with that? And, yeah. On, on a processor um you're going to run so, an entire building that's what you're going to do it's got more storage and processing part i don't know what i'm going to yeah. do with all that storage so um it's we're at a good mix solid state's inevitable i think eventually the the spinning disc will fall to the wayside it just has to be cost effective because you look at data centers even in small businesses and have a couple uh a couple petabytes isn't really a big deal but you you'd never do that for any type of uh, low cost with solid state, it's got to be spinning drives. Yeah. Um, I think the speeds are there. Speeds are very comparable between a spinning drive and, and, a, and a solid state drive. But as far as the cost per gig or even the cost per terabyte when you start dealing with data centers, <clears> it's, it's just not there yet. Bill, my first iPod was the first generation and it had spinning discs oh, yeah. in it. Yes, it did. Uh, they are the one of the people that actually that, that kind of uh, pushed the solid state to the forefront. When it yeah. comes, yeah. When it comes to, to our next evolution in, in hard drives, it, it, uh, like Aaron and I were talking about, this is our next step, right? Yeah, I think it's definitely. I mean, in terms of you know, as mobile computing becomes more popular, uh, solid state just has so many advantages. It uses less power. It's less prone to damage. Um, these are all things that make it really attractive. And it's the next thing, which also makes it attractive. Apple and it weighs less. I mean, you can do a thinner thing, but yeah, I mean, it's. I'm still part of the general. I'm really hoping that with the next MacBook Pro upgrade, they they don't completely eliminate the hard drive because I like having a huge hard drive. I've got I've got stuff on this computer from probably ten years ago. You know, twenty years ago, I probably have Apple Works files on here and oh, Claris wow. Works, and I just it never occurs to me to that to get rid of this stuff and just pare it down to a bare bones device. I just I like having all of my stuff with me. But now, you know, they want everybody to to migrate to the cloud. So I think if we can get a solution where cloud storage becomes uh, easy to use and inexpensive, I mean, where you can get like, you know, 700 gigs of online storage for a reasonable amount of money, then yeah, it's, it'll, it'll make it easier to let things go. Uh, Bill, when it, Bill, I just, Bill said I, the guy you're talking to, Ted is who you want to talk to next, Mr. Albright. Good night. <laughs> I'm going to go home and take a nap. Uh, Ted, when it comes to all of the uh, consumer electronics devices and things that we've got going on, mentioned, we mentioned CE Week at the very beginning of this. Um, when it comes to all these things, are we, are we at a point where, you know, Aaron mentioned the fact that uh, the new Crestron processor has 16 gigs of storage in it. Good Lord. Um, these guys are, are are actually just small little computers now, and and they're, the hard drives that, that we put in there have kind of got to be solid state because the spinnings just won't. I don't know. I, I I get the feeling that the spinning disc inside, like a, let's say a Blu-ray player, just wouldn't be compatible and probably wouldn't last very long. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you'd asked me this question a few a couple of years ago, I probably would have been skeptical. I've always felt that Americans are consumers, which means we want to have and hold and own things that we buy. 
Uh, and I've watched the rise of Netflix and streaming media and, uh, you know, and, and um, great, great consumer acceptance. So, you know, I think these trends are all sort of mutually reinforcing. I just got a new laptop with, with a solid state drive in it. And it's just great at how quick, quick it boots up or shuts down. And, um, and I think people will see that as a real benefit. The price, you know, the, I think the price delta will continue to collapse um, and um, I think the answer is that uh, that we're inexorably marching in that direction. And uh, you know, all those years ago, my mother used to yell at me to get my heads out of the cloud, my head out of the clouds. And Jeez. now, yeah, she's wrong. That's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have our head in the clouds. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's uh, you know that I think absolutely. I think that's the way it's going to go. I mean, uh, you know, one other point, real quick, is you know, I remember I wrote an article about. Um, Four four years ago, three or four years ago, uh, was the, the you know it was the battle for the living room, and at that time, the three players that were battling to take over your living room were the CE guys, which is my background, uh, and then you had the the, the, the PC computer uh, computer guys, and then you had the video game guys. Well, the you know the PC and and video game guys kind of merged, and CE is a, you know inexorably moved in that same direction. So. Uh, um, you know, I think, in fact, it uh, you know it it the, the battle is over, the the war is won, and um, you know, it absolutely, is going to be a solid state world with uh, with all of us uh, drawing our content from the cloud. So, what we have learned from today's broadcast is your parents were wrong. You you can <laughs> you can make a living playing video games. <laughs> yep. And you should have your head in the clouds. And you should definitely. have your head in the clouds. <laughs> So help me if my children ever listen to this. I'm coming after you, Ted. Uh, last but not least, this is from the register. Microsoft is killing, oh, let's just say it. It was web TV. How many of you, how many of, how many of us played on web TV? I'll raise my hand. Uh, I think I had, I think I had a friend whose mom had it. This oh, is sure. It was a friend. Sure it was, Bill. No. Well, my mom just, my mom just got her first uh, computer of her own, like, Three or four years ago, so that's how you know. And I had a Commodore sixty four with the you know, but that was a you know as advanced as it. Yeah, this is another in a parade of Microsoft turning off products that I wasn't aware that they had. Uh, yeah, I thought it was gone long ago. Yeah, it was like what they had an announcement. Oh, we're killing off Soapbox, which was our YouTube competitor. I was like, I didn't know you had a YouTube competitor, Microsoft. They're, they're they're the complete opposite of Google, who kills off products that everybody wants. Yes. Every, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Why are they killing Latitude? I don't get that. Uh, oh, it's it, there's it's a, just being incorporated into Google yeah. Plus. Yeah. 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 Loop, Loop Insight had a link to a really great article where they were saying that the reason they killed off Reader and they're killing off all these things is they want people to use Google Plus. They want everything going through that because that's they're competing with Facebook, and that's how they're putting their ad dollars. Yeah, they seem to really be betting the farm on Google Plus. Yeah, and they're I, it's, it's restructuring a, their whole company yeah. around Google Plus. It's amazing, really. It, and it, I, it, I still don't know anybody who uses it. I, I, <laughs> I use it because I don't use Facebook. So. Well, and I I use it and I use Facebook, but it just it's honestly Google Plus has almost turned into a into a fun LinkedIn. <laughs> and that's kind of weird to say, but I want you to think about what you just said. I know, I know, a that fun be, LinkedIn. There's your there's your title for the episode. Yeah, a fun, it's LinkedIn. A fun LinkedIn, but it it is because my the people who are on on Google Plus for me are almost all industry people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where I met my my good friend Rich Fragosa. It's where I met Bradford Ben. It's where I met a lot of people, 
And that's what it's, it is to me. I mean, there are a handful, I do mean a handful, of personal contacts from old broadcast days. Um, but these are guys who are, and gals who are um, in social media now uh, for various uh, broadcast entities. And so they kind of have to be on, on Google Plus because it's another sure. platform. They don't do it because, you know, it's, it's the next big, big thing. But there's a lot of AV people. There's a lot of technology people on, on Google Plus for some reason. Yeah, I'm I'm on Google Plus, and, and you know, and I, 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 look, I'll give them a little bit of a a, a, a a tip of the hat too. At the time that they were developing Google Plus, uh, you know, most people thought it was going to be a non-starter that Facebook had, uh, you know, had. Uh, mm you know, absolutely uh, dominated the world. They had global domination and there's no room for another player. And they came out with some very innovative features, circles and this, that, and the other thing. I think it's a, it's a, it's an easier interface. It's a little more friction free for things like content sharing and photo uploading and things. So, you know, I, 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 there's definitely some redeeming value for it. I, I am a little amazed at, at how much effort they're putting behind it. Uh, and I do like Google plus, but, um, you know, uh, Google is a very interesting company, and they definitely do things different than everybody else. That's for sure. Think, it's, 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 it's where your mom isn't, so that's a. I mean, that's the sole reason. <laughs> your parents aren't there. Well, this is the most parent-hating group. <laughs> well, getting back to talking about the web TV and MSN TV, I mean, I think it's interesting that you know back when this came out, it was. It's interesting that the way TVs have and haven't integrated with computers and the internet, because the premise behind web TV was, okay, your your TV is now a computer screen, and you're going to use it exactly the same way that you use, you know, you're going to type an email using this stuff, and it never the TV and the computer monitor are in some ways still different things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's I think Apple realizes that. Okay, if you're using your TV, you don't want to use a lot of really complicated things. You want to use a really simple remote to find channels to watch. Um, but it's like, what's the project that seems working on the big picture to play? So you can play your PC oh, mm-hmm. video games on your TV. Yeah. I I don't know if people are going to want to do that. I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to beat the console the console interface with that. You know. You know. To your point. Um... Uh, I just uh, did an article this week uh, from CE Week uh, about the introduction uh, by a company called Seiki of inexpensive uh, 4K Ultra HD TV. Um, actually, at CE Week, they introduced a 39-inch for $700. But wow. when I when I interviewed them, I you know I uh, uh, I, I have to say that. Uh, uh, they did a very good job of creating a pretty compelling uh, story behind the concept. Uh, and the, the gentleman I spoke to is a gentleman named Frank Ken, Kenzora. He's their VP for Seiki. Uh, and they basically, they, there's, you know, he says, look, this is a strip stock basic TV. There's no smart. There's no uh, Internet connection. There's a, this is just for the guy that wants to come home and, uh, you know, wants to be entertained. And he's going to grab his remote and turn on the TV. But he wants a good picture. So it's it's 4K Ultra HD TV. But it just has none of the other added, uh, stu- you know, the, the, uh, the feature packs that are so stuffed in all of the other sets uh, to justify the higher cost. 
I think it's a, you know, I think it's a, sort of a corollary to to what Bill was just talking about when you know when you talk about web TV. I think web TV was a web TV was an interesting concept when it was introduced. I will uh, admit to having played with it a little bit. Never owned it myself, but uh, studied it a little bit. And um, you know, maybe was a little bit ahead of its time. Maybe didn't have quite the right implementation. Um, but you know, still the 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 the, the correlation between uh, interactive mediums like computers and um, you know uh, the king of the couch potatoes TVs is still to me uh, kind of a moving target. Uh, you know, uh, we'll we'll see have we'll have to see how that plays out. No, we definitely will because you know somewhere down the line we're going to come to a device that integrates all of them, <laughs> whether it's you know <laughs> Xbox slash Apple TV slash who knows what. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Whoever figures that out, let me know, because um, I'll buy stock. Um, yeah. All right, guys. That is going to do us. Uh, we're going to say good goodbye for now, but give you guys a chance to uh, to say, to say uh, so long. Ted Green has been with us. Ted is the editor of Strategy, strategy.com. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. I'm not a virgin anymore. You are not. Jeez, thank you. How can uh, How can people get in touch with you, sir? Um, just go on to strategy.com on the uh, contact us page, and that comes right to me. Okay, very good. Uh, also with us is Bill Steitler. Bill is the associate or an, an associate editor at AppleTel. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And what, where can people find you or AppleTel? Uh, they can find me at appletel.com. Simple enough. Uh, and last but not least, Aaron Wilson. Aaron's an enterprise AV professional. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Besides Google+, where can people find you? On the unfun LinkedIn. Your unfun LinkedIn, thank you. On MSN TV. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Wilson. Actually, he has the web the the uh, email address Aaron at webtv.com. So ah. He was. So help me. I I I feel sorry for the person that does have that one. Um. No, no you don't. No, no, I, no I, I really don't. Uh, you, if don't follow me, go to web. Go to the website. The website is avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. Uh, we're also on Google Plus, as I mentioned. We're on Facebook and Twitter and all that jazz. But uh, find everything at, at avnation.tv. We have this show, obviously, plus a host of others. Uh, we have a brand spanking new one in conjunction with our buddies over at Red Band, uh, and um, his name is Chris Netto. It's called Red Band Radio. And they recorded the very first one. Uh, live at Infocom. It is, uh, how do I put this? It's not safe for work. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. It's it's AV talk that's not safe for the office. Uh, but no, they're a good bunch of guys. George uh, Tucker was with them, uh, as well as a, b- a bunch of others. And, and they're going to be doing something with a, a live band here sometime soon. So that's kind of cool. But that got up on iTunes this week, so check that out. We have a new uh, st- uh, 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 state of control coming down the pike. Uh, Ed Tech is there, uh, educa- our education-focused show, and uh, also uh, our live staging event, social media one with uh, Kelly Perkins and uh, and Miss A.V. Dawn, Dawn Mead. So check all of those out. If you would, also DIY. I think that's all the ones. I don't want to forget anybody. So, yeah, go by the website, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. That is all the time we have for A.V. Week. Oh, 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 oh.